Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13 is the text for Pastor John's sermon this morning. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Never flag in zeal. Be aglow with His Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. There are three texts in the New Testament that command hospitality. And I invite you to look at these with me. The first one is right here in Romans 12, 13. The word translated practice is pursue, present tense, go after it the way you'd go after an enemy, the way a state highway patrolman pursues a speeder. It means basically don't let hospitality be something you do on Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. That's not the way you pursue somebody. Three times a year. When you're pursuing, you keep moving. You go after them. It's regular. It's persistent. Turn with me to First uh, Peter 4.8. Each one of these texts gives a different nuance of what hospitality is all about. Above all, hold unfailing your love for one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins, practice hospitality ungrudgingly toward one another. Ungrudgingly. That means that this is a command to be the kind of people who like to show hospitality. It means that the command to show hospitality is not merely the command to do something. It's the command to be something. You can't fulfill the command by a quota of guests every month in a legalistic way. It's a command to be the kind of person who, when you see the extra dishes and the extra bedding and the extra bother, you don't mind. It's a miracle. The heart is changed so that you don't feel any grudge or burden. It's a delight to show hospitality. So that's what this part of the New Testament command implies. Ungrudgingly, without murmuring. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, if you want to keep following. Hebrews 13, just go back two books in the New Testament. Hebrews, James, First Peter. Chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Evidently, this command implies it is something that we are liable to neglect. It is easy to neglect hospitality. Everybody knows about the physical force of gravity. Gravity pulls everything to the center of the earth with such force that if you want to break out of this earth-centered life, you have to have thousands and thousands of pounds of thrust 
under your challenger to get him out. Well, there is a psychological gravity that pulls everything in to the center of your life. Thoughts, feelings, actions. There's this gravity that pulls everything inside so that we can live just like this. And so the most natural thing in the world is to neglect hospitality. All you have to do is just drop the piece of paper, it falls. All you have to do is be human and you'll neglect hospitality. There is a gravity in the sinful human heart that draws everything in except other people. Just your thoughts, your affections, your family, so everything's nice and cozy inside your apartment and your home, and you've neglected it. And so, very simply, this text says to you this morning, stop doing that. Don't neglect hospitality. Make your living room into a launching pad. Fill your boosters with fuel. Blast out of your self-centered routine with whatever thrust it takes. Get reaching out to show hospitality. Those are the three commands. Romans 12, 13. 1 Peter 4, 9. Hebrews 13, 2. Now, why? This is a worship service, not a seminar on successful living. What does hospitality have to do with God? That's the question for this morning. If it doesn't have anything to do with God, it doesn't belong in a worship service. In fact, I don't give a hoot about it belonging in my life if it doesn't relate to God. A God-besotted person, which is what I want all of you to be, a God-besotted person answers every question, why do you do that? With the answer, it relates to God. God is in every answer, ultimately, of why you do a thing. So, if you can't give an answer how hospitality relates to God, forget it. When I'm dead and gone, and another man stands in this pulpit and candidates to be your pastor... I pray, I really do pray like this, I pray that you will ask yourself and ask him in the appropriate way, do you relate everything to God? Or, do, or are you satisfied with promoting morals? Do, do you have a Christian theology that is like, like a gas that just penetrates Everything you say. Or are you like a tender-hearted secular psychologist who has keen insight into how to get along better and wants to share it with us? I can't see any reason why Christians should be interested in hospitality or morality or mental health at all if it doesn't relate to Christ. If I understand Matthew 23, 15, the word of Jesus correctly, hell, which I believe in very much, hell will be largely populated with hospitable, moral, mentally healthy people who had no love for Jesus Christ. I 
strongly resist the temptation to justify any action, including hospitality, by saying it's part of the Judeo-Christian ethic. Part of the Judeo-Christian ethics. It's the American way. When you consider the, the tiny little length of time that we are alive on this planet and the infinite length of time we will spend in heaven or in hell, what have you achieved of any eternal significance if you have enabled people to be healthy and moral and hospitable, but not new creatures in Christ? Nothing. Are we to assume that they will praise us forever in hell? That we help them spend their 50 years on this planet in Comfortable ways, able to get along in their family, have successful business. Is that what we're to imagine will happen? Won't happen, folks. Won't happen. Those 50 years are going to be gone faster than the fireworks over Nicollet Island. And then eternity. And they won't praise us if that's what you've devoted your life to. If hospitality doesn't have to do with Christ, then shut my mouth this morning. The only ethics, the only morality that have eternal value are the ethics that are shaped by God's will, revealed in Scripture, performed by God's power in the Holy Spirit, and aimed at God's glory through Jesus Christ. Any other morality is wood, hay, and stubble. It will burn. We must be a Christ-saturated people if we want our lives to have any significance. really doesn't matter whether you promote hospitality or morality if you leave people in their sins without Christ. Well, why should we be hospitable? Turn with me, if you want to follow, to Leviticus chapter 19. We're going to go to the central Old Testament text where the God-centered motivation of hospitality is given to the people of Israel. While you're looking it up, let me just mention that the word hospitality in Greek means literally love of strangers. That'll set you up to see why this verse is so relevant to the issue of hospitality. Leviticus 19, verse 33 and 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who sojourns with you shall be to you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, what's the motivation for hospitality in this verse? See that little for? Whenever you see a for, you know some motivation. Theological foundation is coming. Well, it sounds on the face of it like he's saying, you were a stranger once, so now be nice to strangers. That's not enough. That doesn't persuade me. It just doesn't have any punch. It's no necessary connection between the fact that I was a stranger once and now I should be nice to strangers. Why, why, why should I? 
That, that's not the point of the text. You've got to read it all together. The point of the text is, you were strangers once in Egypt, you rascals. You're not anymore. I am the Lord, your God. Now, what's, what's going on here? What, what does he mean? Every Israelite that hears that word, I am the Lord, your God, they know what that's referring to. That's the most famous statement in the Bible for, for a Jew. Comes from the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the very first line in the Ten Commandments. And every Jew could finish it. You can finish it, can't you? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. This is your shorthand here in Leviticus 19. Twelve times, I am the Lord your God, I am the Lord your God, I am the Lord your God. And every Jew hears, who brought you out of the land of Egypt? Who brought you out of the land of Egypt? Who delivered you from slavery? Who saved you? Who split the sea? If you have a God like that, who did that? Can you turn away a stranger? For the people of the Old Testament, the duty of hospitality rooted right in the center of their God. Who he was, the way he acted in history. So, love the strangers. Open your heart to the strangers. Open your house and your apartment to the strangers. Be like me. Be holy, for I am holy. Show my values in your values. Well, what? What were God's values when he came to Egypt? Why did he do that? Ezekiel said, quoting God, Then I thought, says the Lord, I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. He's talking about his people. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they dwelt. The psalmist said, Psalm 106, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider thy wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of thy steadfast love. They rebelled against the Most High at the Red Sea. So why did he help them? Yet, it says, he saved them for his namesake that he might make known his mighty power. God showed hospitality to his people Israel for his glorious grace, that it might be proclaimed throughout the world, that his power might be made known among the people who lived in the Near East. Unless you get a handle on this, I've said this a hundred times in the last five years, Unless you get a handle on this, you'll never know the meaning of grace. Unless you get a handle on this, grace will always be mixed up with a little bit of you as to why God helps you. Grace is the hospitality of God to welcome into His home sinners, not because of their goodness, but His glory. Okay, you got it? Grace is the hospitality of God to welcome into His eternal home sinners. You and me, not because of our goodness, but because of His glory and His insistence and unwavering commitment to magnify the beauty of His glorious grace. 
Go with me to the New Testament and let's see if the same thought structure is here. Ephesians chapter 2. While you're looking it up, think about this. If you can think and look. Small comfort to me, a Gentile, right? Great for the Jews. God makes a covenant with them. Comes and delivers them. Holds out the promised land to them. Big deal. For me, I'm no Jew. I'm not part of Israel. I'm just left outside on the streets. The party's going on in there. That's the situation in Ephesians 2.11. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you, is us, Bethlehem, you were at that time separated from the Messiah, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, no hope, and without God in the world. That's bad news. I don't give a rip whether Israel has a covenant if I'm left in hell. Well, I'm not. You're not. Verses 15 and 16, build a bridge, or better, a sidewalk from the street into the party room. Christ sacrificed his flesh, notice in verse 15, to create in himself one new man in the place of two, that is, one church instead of Israel and the Gentiles. So making peace to reconcile us both to God in one body through his cross, the most hospitable event in the world, the cross, thereby bringing the hostility to an end. Christ came into the world to sacrifice himself for sinners that everyone who believes in him might be reconciled to God. And in being reconciled to God, you see, we come together, Jew, Gentile, black, yellow, red, white. And then verse 19, most beautiful verse in the New Testament in many ways, for us Gentiles anyway. So then, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and sojourners. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Can you believe it? Lousy, no good, Gentile street people just walking right into the party. Made sons and daughters, no less, of the host. Now, why? Why did God do this? That's the question we asked to Leviticus. We ought to ask it here. Go back to chapter 1. Why did God come? Why did He fling open the doors and show such hospitality to us, to make us children even? Verse uh, 5. And six of Ephesians 1. He destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Why? To the praise of the glory of his grace. It's the same reason that he delivered the people from Egypt. God does everything for the praise of the glory of His grace. The bottom foundation for your hospitality, brothers and sisters, 
The reason you should invite somebody over for lunch today or for popcorn after service tonight is because God is God. Free, sovereign, gracious, flinging wide the doors of His house and drawing sinners in. By grace you've been saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The motivation, what is it? Well, let's look in our hearts now and see how it works. I think it works like this. You look back and then you look forward. You look back like this. You remember something. You remember that your life in Christ, your eternal hope, is owing to an act of hospitality at the cross where God opened His heart as wide as He could open it to you. He came to you while you were dead in the sin of Egypt. He gave His Son in the Passover. He made you alive and brought you out through the conversion of the Red Sea. He brings manna and water from the rock in the wilderness of this life. And then, with all that swimming in your mind from the past, you turn to the future and you see a promise and a loyalty in God that says, I love you with a love that is so certain, sure, and unshakable that I can no more stop loving my chosen people than I can hate my glory. And you see the way sure to the Jordan. You see the Jordan splitting wide. You see yourself ushered into the promised land and milk and honey flowing in the fellowship of Christ forever and ever and ever. And that's why you invite somebody over for dinner. It has to do with God, brothers and sisters. Doesn't it? All of life is God. Nothing is anything without God. I want to close with some practical exhortations about how to go back. I use the title, Strategic Hospitality. What do I mean by that? Hospitality that is strategic is a thinking hospitality. It asks questions like this. How can I draw the most people, by the use of my apartment or my home, into the joy of the hospitality of God? Or it asks, who at Bethlehem this morning, in my Sunday school class, in this service, needs reinforcements in the battle with loneliness? That's a strategic question for every saint. Or it asks, what are two or three people who have gifts that are so complementary that if I brought them together for two hours to brainstorm over my dining room table, a new ministry might explode out of Bethlehem Baptist Church. That's what I mean by strategic hospitality. Now, there are three ways that we could go about this. Why, goodness, there are dozens of ways. I'm going to mention three. Please don't consider them a limitation on your creativity or God's leadership in your life. Every family structure will have to have a different approach. Number one, invite each other home from church services. I was at First Baptist Cambridge last Sunday. Guess what happened to six people, pipers, after the service? 
Alma Bjork invited us to dinner. That's significant for many, many reasons. There were six people already invited to dinner. She is a widow who just lost her husband. A great missionary. What's she doing? Now, wringing her hands, all oh, the good old days when Dale was here, we could minister together. Not a word of it. Strategic. I will have Piper over with Tim Held, who's the head of the international students, with this young couple here who's interested in missions, and I will put them, well, I don't have a dining room. In fact, I don't have enough chairs. Abraham, he can eat on the floor. Thirteen of us around the kitchen table threw some extra corn in a pot. Brothers and sisters, we want to go back. We're talking about wartime hospitality. Nothing fancy. Forget this need to have the china out. Paper plates is the name of the game for Sunday dinner. (laughs) Nobody should have to wash dishes on Sunday afternoon. At least nobody should feel they can't be hospitable because they have dishes to do. When President Lundquist preached in this pulpit four years ago, he came to our house for dinner, and what did Noel put before him? Paper plates and spaghetti. We want to minister. We don't give a rip about impressing anybody. Neither should you. Freedom and power in the Holy Spirit. Strategic hospitality. Second, greet people who come to church. This is a home for many. Invite them to Sunday school. Show them where the nursery is. Point them to where the sanctuary is. There's a weird building here. We've got to help people find their way. But now let me relate Sunday morning hospitality to our strategy of worship. There's a lot of confusion about this. And I hope I can straighten it out in the next two minutes. When the prelude begins, you've entered this room, all conversation with everybody except God ceases. Dean told me it was pandemonium in here during the prelude last week. That makes me sad. I realize we need to keep teaching this. We haven't done it as faithfully as we should. When the prelude begins, that is a signal. Calling all people serious about going hard after God. Get yourselves ready. Now, you don't spell prelude with P-R-A-Y-L-U-D-E, but that would be a good way to spell it. There is one thing that you ought to be doing during the prelude. Actually, there's more than one. The main thing is pray, pray, pray during the prelude. God, I'm here to meet you. God, help me to be free of self-consciousness. Help me to get over the crabbiness I had in the car on the way in. Forgive me for the way I spoke to the children. God, I'm ready to meet you. I want to read a hymn now. Speak to me. Pray. If you don't pray, if you converse, and just kind of loll around, leave the lights and the choir and people's dress, brothers and sisters, you won't meet God. If you want to meet God, and that's what worshiping is all about, you must take those five or ten minutes and go hard after God. Now, that's not hospitable. You're all wrapped up in you and God. Like this. And that's okay. 
Because what we want to communicate to our visitors when they come, as they look around, and all these strange people bowed down in prayer, is that for 70 minutes out of the week, this people goes hard after God. Is that too much? Out of 168 hours. Is that too much? But, when the benediction is over, and all the people say, Amen, you should all turn on your PWHR. Your post-worship hospitality radar. A, A good... PWHR picks up all new and distressed people within a range radius of about 10 or 15 feet. Now, you can't go to every little blip on the screen that's picking them up. You can't go to everyone. But if you all went to one, this place would be electric with hospitality. And that's when it should happen. The spillover of worship are words of welcome and love and I got plans for dinner or we have a service at 6 o'clock tonight and we'd love to have you back and how about coming over to my house for popcorn afterwards? When you walk out of your home in the morning or when you come at night, just kick the toys into the corner (laughs) and make sure you've got popcorn and cooking oil. That's all that matters. We have organized greeters at Bethlehem. Ruby Omen is our faithful coordinator of greeters. They stand at all the entrances and exits to help people when they come. Where do I go? What do I do? What goes on in this place? They hand out the bulletins. They can give help. Now, they need reinforcements. So, 20 of you, okay, call Ruby or call the church office and say, we'd like to help with greeting. We get a button and we'll stand there and smile and communicate the hospitality of God to new people, especially in October When we start this Saturday night service, Steve Royd picks up with the Ananias teams September 9. That's a Monday night ministry where we take the hospitality out of the church to people who are interested in it in their homes. So Steve would just love it if you would contact him and say, tell me about Ananias teams. Uh, I'd love to be a part of, of reaching out and not just waiting for them to come here to us. And listening to Rick, by the way, uh, our minister for junior hires talked to the uh, Toshavim people about possibilities of ministry in junior high and the kind of outreach mentality that's breeding there among those junior hires makes me want to say, that's hospitality. And see Rick about opportunities for ministry and sponsoring there. Well, we must close. One more. God is doing something remarkable among international students at Bethlehem. This weekend, there are 25 or so international students, all of whom, as far as we know, are not believers in Jesus Christ, with about 12 or 14 of our young people in the Boundary Waters for five days. Brothers and sisters, burn the wires to heaven in these next two days. Satan wants to hold on to those people so fast and tight. Prayer will break those chains. Pray for them right through Tuesday that God bring them to and bring them into the fellowship of God's hospitality. The frat house has been leased in Dinkytown for a year 
with, a, with about uh, six or eight of young men from Bethlehem staffing it and the rest international students to live there. Pray for that. Well, I don't know what's going on, but God's doing it. I don't have anything to do with this. I'm just watching it happen. So let me throw out the invitations to you to join in. Number one, in just a few weeks, hundreds of international students will arrive at Minneapolis airport. First time. Who's going to pick them up? They get people to pick them up from all over the cities. Barb Olson at the Minnesota International Center makes connections. The telephone number is right there in your bulletin. Call her up and say, uh, I've heard that uh, we could pick up people at the airport who are coming here from uh, foreign countries to be students. I- I'd like to help. Any way I can help? They give you a student, a time, a name, a number. Look what that does. You're the first person they meet. You take them home to dinner and introduce them to your house. They get you a flavor of, of your household. You take them to the dormitory and you say, look, here's my name, here's my number. Any cultural or uh, language questions, call me. And for three to four years, there's somebody to minister to, to win. Second, have them over for dinner. Any time. Just talk to any of the people on the team or call the church office and we'll make the connections for you. Or third and finally, do you know what they do at Christmas time? They shut down the dormitory. they got to get out. Where are they going to go? They scramble for places to live. Cheap. How about your house for two weeks? The whole Christmas experience with a person from another land. All kinds of opportunities with international students. Well, we close. Freely you have received, freely give. I ask you, is there any pleasure, is there any thrill or any delight anywhere in the world greater than the thrill of experiencing the power of God's hospitality, making us into a radically new and different kind of people who love to respect or reflect the glory of God, His grace, as we manifest it and extend it in all kinds of ways of hospitality. I don't know of anything greater than to feel God doing that in our lives. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father in heaven, there are people here right now who know they have never accepted your hospitality extended in Jesus Christ on the cross. And I pray for them right now that you would open the eyes of their hearts That you would cause them to see the irresistible beauty of belonging in the house as a child who's repentant and believing. Lord, put faith into the hearts of the unbelieving. Give them no rest, I pray, until they find their rest in your house. And then, Lord, for the rest, for those who know you and love you, I pray that you will awaken us afresh to the duty and to the delight of accepting and extending your hospitality to each other, to the strangers in our midst, to those in our neighborhood and beyond, to the praise of the glory of your grace. And all the people said, Amen.